Everybody, welcome to Babu's Frickin' Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here at Our Galaxy Far, Far Away. My name is Mark Valentine, one of the many hosts of Babu's Frickin' Podcast, and I'm joined, as always, by Mike Chiati Ruby. Mike, welcome back. Mutiri! <laughs> and Brian Porkins-Lee, but we may be changing that surname soon. I, I mean, if you want to. You remember that part in A New Hope when Yavin 4 is almost able to be shot by the death star. Yeah. Like that was my life. Like I did not have internet until two minutes before I logged into this, into this recording. Like this has not been well. Evacuate in a moment of triumph. I think you underestimate the chances. I am grand Moff. Yeah, I am grand Moff Valentine. So it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Gentlemen, uh, I've been waiting for, for this. We record every two weeks and I just want to say thank you that like we have this, like I need this in my life. Uh, it is a very big part of, of my podcasting life. So I look forward to recording with the two of you every two weeks on Bobby's freaking podcast this week, guys, the task is pretty simple at first. We are going to be breaking down and discussing episode eight reunion and then episode nine battle scars of the bad batch. We will give our opinions, talk about some of the elements that either landed with us or did not. And then in the second half, I'm really excited for this. As I know is Mike, we're really excited to be sharing our dream casting of some of the roles that have yet to be fulfilled in the live action universe. The reappearance of some people in the, these last two episodes got me thinking if we are going to be bringing more and more people from the Clone Wars and Rebels to the live action screen, who do the three of us want to see in those roles? So we are going to be casting those roles and then some. We are taping today with a live audience. So there are people that are joining us. Our Patreon members are joining us over on YouTube, on our private YouTube stream. I want to say thank you for those of you who are taking some time out here on Sunday to join us. And gentlemen, uh, I am, I'm really psyched. Let's get into the, the meat and potatoes first of the episode before we get to geek out. Uh, let's talk episode eight, Reunion. And just briefly, Reunion is a race against time to escape the Republic's scrapyards of Bracca, Crosshair, and the platoon of stormtroopers have arrived. They have the Bad Batch cornered inside of the wreckage of an old Jedi cruiser, 
and there is little chance of escape. And in true Star Wars fashion, it provides yet one more big epic moment before revealing that the big bad of the episode is not Crosshairs, but a villain from the past series itself. So as predicted, gentlemen, on our last podcast episode, let's talk very quickly about that reunion with none other than Crosshair, who provides the perfect foe for the Bad Batch as he can anticipate their moves and uses their strategies against them. Brian, I know that you said, listen, we've got to see this guy. It's been way too long now. It's been since episode three. Uh, did Crosshair's arrival do anything for you specifically? Um, how did how did you feel about his return? Were there any changes for you? Yeah, I mean, we needed we needed him back in the storyline, and I think the way that they got him back in there. I mean, we knew they were calling the Empire when we left with Rex walking away, and and but him showing up and being full blown Empire, and them still just saying, "Hey, it's the inhibitor chip. It's the inhibitor chip." Maybe it's not anymore. Like maybe Crosshair has fully made that turn and there may not be any bringing him back. I'm curious to see where we go there. I would assume we get the chance to at least work on the inhibitor chip of Crosshair at some point. Uh, But him being able to anticipate every move, them stealing the comms, them jamming the comms and everybody just taking that at face value saying you guys are all idiots. Like they're, they're jamming your comms saying they're going to the hangar and then intercepting them and being willing to roast them alive. Pretty, uh, pretty intense. Yeah. Mike, uh, how did, how did th- that strike you? Uh, I thought it was great. And I loved that it was, it was an equal match. You know, I, I think my expectation was that crosshair was going to be one step ahead of them at every turn. And it turns out that it was equal in terms of the guys knowing his tricks and how to start playing on him. And by the end of the episode, he's the one coming out looking like Dengar and Darth Vader had a baby Right. And yeah, I mean, like they think that it's going to be, you know, we're, we're thinking, oh, he's so brutal. You know, he's he's willing to burn them alive. Like at the end of the episode, they're the ones who are sending him to a back to bath and they're riding off into the sky. So I, I, I really enjoyed the fact that it was a little bit more even cat and mouse back and forth between them. And I, I also just have to throw out there that there's few things cooler than seeing a human proton torpedo launcher. So I just want to go on record and say I am hopeful that Crosshairs has some gnarly scar or even keeps the Dengar-like rap. He looked so badass after he got injured. And that sequence for me was a jaw-dropping moment. And listen, it's Star Wars. We know that we're going to get these over-the-top set pieces. That whether it's the lava fields of Mustafar, whether it's the cryogenic chambers of Cloud City on Bespin, the set pieces never disappoint in Star Wars. It's what makes it so fantastical. But that Republic engine sequence, and then when it gets blown up by the Bad Batch and it provides for like this epic escape moment, you know, they they kind of use this unexpected way to, to get away. Like that to me was just insane. It was awesome. That was the moment where my jaw hit the floor. And again, you lose yourself in the fact that it's animated at that moment. That there are set pieces and moments like that that you forget that you're watching an animated series and you just go, well, what just happened? Well, Crazy. and I love that they've they've made the emotional stakes so high as well that it's every episode is not just about is the Bad Batch going to escape in one piece from this because they're always walking around with a 75-pound weight attached to their ankle named Omega, right? Like – for as wonderful and amazing as she is, she raises the emotional stakes in every episode yeah. because she's not 
as well adept as them. She's not only naive to the world, but she's a kid. So to expect her to be able to outrun stormtroopers and, you know, bots in the, in previous episodes or the, the bounty hunters, there's always that double jeopardy of we've got to escape, but Oh, by the way, we have to escape with a kid. And they're shackled with her. Yes. Yeah. Which I think just, it makes it all the better because you're always kind of worried about is Omega. Okay. Are the bad batch. Okay. And then like the Venn diagram are the bad batch and Omega. Okay. Yeah. So I, I want to dip into this and again, you know, we're, we're non-toxic, but it's okay to say this on air. I know that when the season started, the series started, you were pretty high on Omega as, as a character. You liked the childlike wonder that she brought to the par and Brian commented on the last podcast. He hopes that we get past the ooh and ah of Omega. I think this was the first time that I did start to agree with that aspect that I would like to see a little bit more growth from her. I feel like that childlike wonder is still there, but I feel like at this point that it's becoming somewhat cliche in that she is becoming too much of the, the plot point in that she's holding the bad batch back. I'm constantly worried about like, where's Omega? What's going on with Omega? Like, can we get her out of peril? And I feel like that is, becoming too much the the entire shtick of the whole show. And I'm hoping that we can get out of that at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that's fair. I, I think it's one of the reasons I like it. I mean, you, you could make the same, you could make the same argument on Mandalorian about Grogu being, being the lead weight, you know, if we're going to say that. So, and, and, and I think it's, it's hard because Grogu was a child. There were, we didn't expect character development. Yes. So for us to expect that in the course of a week, somehow Omega is going to magically be more evolved. Yeah, but if is, Grogu is wasn't hard, but if Grogu wasn't so darn cute, we might get a little bit more frustrated with him. Come on. Let's be honest in season two of the Mandalorian. They knew what they had in Grogu, which was like show Grogu in some cute precarious situation at one point, like let's make an animated GIF. Like what, what can we put to make him into an animated GIF? Whether it was him with his, arms up on the on the cruiser or eating a, a blue macaroon yeah or committing you know mass genocide by eating frog ladies eggs oh man he so, killed the know, whole race of frog ladies yeah, people you know <laughs> that murderer is so adorable he's so cute when he murders another another embryo yeah no i mean but i i i think my 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 challenge with omega is less about her lack of character growth at this point because i do think she's actually learning quite a lot i mean she's realizing the people who raised her and took care of her are now sending people after her and she doesn't know why like her whole world yeah first her whole world was taken from her and now her whole world view is being taken from her my challenge is that i wish some of some of the aspects of her performance were a little bit more emotionally complex yeah i don't i don't nece- i don't know that i necessarily feel I don't know that I necessarily feel her performance getting beyond being that childlike. And I think that's, that's where it gets a little blurry for me. And so again, non-toxic, the actress who's, who's playing Omega is doing a wonderful job, but I just wish that they made, I wish that the intonation that they had with some of, with some of her reactions was a little bit deeper, but I don't, I don't fault Omega's character arc or lack of arc at this point. Um, for how I feel about her. Brian had a little bit of a connection issue. He just joined us again. Brian, when you, when you got disconnected from the show, we were talking about Omega and how we started really high on her and loved her childlike uh, persona. Uh, I kind of expressed before you jumped on and we, and before we went live here that we 
wish that there was a little bit more going on in terms of her character development. And just Mike even said like some of her reads and some of the line delivery has started to uh, get somewhat stagnant. Are you still, uh, how are you still feeling Omega as a character? I know last week you expressed that you're hoping that she gets a little bit more than that naivete that we've been getting from her. How are you still feeling about her as a character? Cause she has become somewhat of a ball and chain now for the bad batch. Uh, hopefully this, this stands up. I spoke too soon on the internet, apparently. Um, so I no, I, I, she didn't bother me, especially in the ninth episode of the getting the information that she's a gen one straight from Django, like Boba doesn't accelerate aging. I think we are setting up to see her in the book of Boba Fett or something like that in the future, Please, um, would make a lot of sense to me. I, so I, I mean, I don't know. I'm honestly, I'm in a better spot with Omega after these two episodes than I was coming into these two episodes. And maybe I'm alone there. I don't know. An adult Omega would be phenomenal. And that again, played into part of the theme of this episode, which was who do we see in the future of star Wars now that there, there appears to be, or at least we envision there being a lot of crossover with a lot of the characters Filoni is seeming to use a lot of these characters. We know that we're getting an Ahsoka series. We know that we're getting an Andor series. We know that we're going to be getting uh, some kind of Admiral Thrawn. His name has been dropped. So for us, it was just our way to kind of geek out. And and now with the appearance of, and, and let's get to when I saw Cad Bane drop in episode eight, that's when the wheels really started turning for me, which was Dave Filoni, again, I've said this before, is driving the Star Wars universe Moving forward, he is deciding a lot of these creative decisions, probably in concert with Kathleen Kennedy and the executives over at Disney, along with, I'm sure that John Favreau is getting some input with a lot of the stuff too. It was really excited to see Cad Bane come back. I texted Brian and was like, have you watched? He said, no. And I was like, oh man, you are going to be so, so happy with this episode. Did the reveal of Cad Bane make you freak out, Brian? Because I did. I freaked out. Yeah, I didn't expect it one bit, and that's what made it so so great. I mean, we already got Fennec Shand, and we're going to get a lot more Fennec Shand in the next episode. So when Cad Bane showed up, it didn't surprise me one bit. I do love Seth Green as Toto. I just I love Seth Green as Toto. So in this particular episode, I mean, we didn't get a lot of it, um, but especially in the ninth episode. But when Cad Bane showed up, like I was bouncing out of my seat. I mean, to say I I mean to say I love Cad Bane so much would say that I drafted him in our bounty hunter draft, but I didn't get said opportunity. Unfortunately, I took him off the board and I don't regret it. I stand by that decision. So it was really fun to see that it's actually Cad Bane. Who's been contracted by the Kaminoans to return Omega to the cloning facility that plays out extensively in episode nine, but we've been wondering who are all of these different pieces that are hunting them. We know that crosshair is hunting them on behalf of the empire and then we get to see that Fennec Shand, and we'll talk about this in, in just a minute or two, is being hired by a certain contingency, and then Cad Bane is being hired by the other. But it was a really cool moment. I want to say a little bit of fan service, but not so much, where we got to see Cad Bane get in that quick shot duel against Hunter. And we talked about this last week, that there was a run or there was supposed to be a run. There was supposed to be a four-episode arc. It was unreleased where Boba and Cad Bane actually had a team up on Tatooine and then they eventually turned on each other leading to a duel. This was in 2014 and it was unproduced. It did screen, the duel screened at 2017 Star Wars Celebration 
And that shows where Boba Fett got the signature dent in his helmet. It was from Cad Bane. But this kind of, to me, smacked of that fan service of, hey, listen, we didn't give you Boba against Cad, but let's give you another clone against Cad Bane. And so we got to see Hunter square off in that moment. And I, I again, I squealed a little bit. I geeked out. Hunter never stood a chance. He never stood a chance. Boba, maybe. Like, there was no doubt when they were drawn down on each other. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> I'll be Huckleberry. Like, it was yeah. done. It was over. He was fast. He was like the Ned, the Ned Needlander of the Three Amigos. No <laughs> one could be that fast. I was devastated. I, I am that fast. <laughs> I am that fast. <laughs> that we, we, can we do, uh, Brian, can we do a United We Fan Three Amigos, please? <laughs> <laughs> we got to get that in there somewhere. We have to prune the hedges of many small villages together. Prune the hedges, the hedges. of many small villages. Who in the hell is this guy? A green was falling from the sky. <laughs> yes, it was. Oh my goodness. Nothing Sorry, but, we're going down a weird, yes. weird rabbit hole that we're going to pull ourselves out of. Nothing but um, three amigos quotes from this point forward. Yeah. But, um, yeah but Brian, you can have Toto though. I mean, I know that Mark took, you know, uh, took cat off the board but you know if you if you want toto as like your your sidekick in the draft you know <laughs> you can you can take him along so gentlemen Seth green's a good time Seth- his performance is amazing like i think i i honestly i think my favorite moment in the i know i'm gonna get a little bit here i think my entire my favorite moment in the next episode is when omega knocks him away and he's like falling through the sky and he just yells back and it, it just, it sounded like the guy in the Simpsons who's like, I'll get you for this Midler. <laughs> like it was, it was like, he's just falling into space and you're like, I, I, I thought his entire performance was, was hilarious. Yeah. But that, that one moment for like shaking his little robot fist in the air, like you haven't seen the last of me broke me. I it was, was good stuff. Yeah. I mean, hunters, hunters stood no chance. It was an epic moment. Uh, Hunter miraculously survived the duel for the first time. I think in recorded history, uh, the armor actually worked and it, it protected the, you know, the wearer of it. Hunter survived the duel gr- uh, grievously injured though. It looks like the, he got wrecked from the, the blaster bolt worse than wrecker. Cause wrecker got, you know, remember uh, crosshair tagged wrecker earlier in the season yeah. and he took a pretty bad shot and the armor just barely held up. I stand corrected the second for the second time in recorded history, the armor as they, they are a up. bad batch. They got to get some, some of that Mandalorian. They got to get some Beskar armor. Yeah. So. Or at, at least like, like Curly and Kevlar. Like what's, what's the, uh, something. <laughs> so, but Cad Bane makes, basically makes it away. Episode eight ends with the cliffhanger. He grabs Omega and he runs. And then we pick up with, uh, crosshair in hot pursuit of the bad batch, the bad batch trying to catch up desperately to Cad Bane and Omega is imperiled. It was the first time that I felt like there were, there were some really serious stakes at the end of eight where I was going Wow, what's going to happen now? The question I want to ask before we get to nine, gentlemen, and to Brian specifically, uh, does this appearance from Cad Bane give you hope that we're going to get some kind of Cad Bane appearance in the uh, the book of Boba? I think there's no reason you reintroduce him to a new set of fans without any plans for him in the future. At least that's my hope. But can we talk about how cool the visuals were of seeing from inside Hunter's vantage point inside of his stormtrooper helmet or inside of his of his clone helmet that was really 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 cool something we've never really seen before i loved that i i did too i thought it was to experience what was great about it was that you actually got to experience hunter's panic 
Like it was, it's one thing if you see him like kind of sit up and wake up and go, Oh my gosh, where's Omega. But like to actually see it through his eyes and look around and realize that she wasn't there. I spot on. It was something, it it was so different that it made it even more emotionally jarring. Yeah. Good, good call, Brian. Yeah. The only other time we've gotten that kind of point of view or perspective is, is in episode three when Darth Vader is the helmet goes on for the very first time and the Mandalorian armor a weird way when we get it from Din Djarin, like when he's just walking around the rock in season six uh, yeah. or episode six of season two in the Mandalorian, but it's not the same. It's not the same, but that was a very cool perspective. I, I like that. That first person like POV from inside of the helmet of one of these guys and Mike spot on. It was yeah. nice to see that panic too. Yeah. To answer your question, I, I think I have renewed vigor that, that Cad Bane is, if not the main antagonist, at least one of the antagonists in the book of Boba Fett. I think there's a reason you reintroduce him other than the fact that he's really awesome. I think there's a reason that he's, that he's back. How do you think they accomplish that role? Do you think through some kind of computer generated effect or through like a practical effect in a costume? What do you think is the most menacing and, and the best way to pull a, a live action Cad Bane? I think, I think you just put dots. You would with the Hulk or something like that. Oh, that's a good call. But is it, sorry, I'm going to ask an ignorant question. You know, isn't his race, aren't, isn't that the same as the aliens that are, that are chilling out at the cantina? Correct. Isley? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, they could, they could probably do some of it practically. I, my, my bigger question was, which is like where I thought you were going, Mark is, do we think the cat appears in book of Boba Fett in quote unquote present day after he pulls himself out of the Sarlacc? Or is it that like, we get a bit of a flashback throughout where we see the training where it's more like, you know, the, the cruel tutelage of Pyme in, in Kill Bill, where, you know, it's Boba dealing with his present and he, he's remembering back to his abusive, you know, tutelage in the past with Cad Bane. And that's what propels him forward rather than seeing Cad Bane. You know, if we do get Cad Bane, you know, again, quote unquote, in the present, that's 25 years, you know, you know, after when we would have seen him here in Bad Batch. Well, to be perfectly honest, I would be on board for both or a mixture of the of the two to get flashbacks and then to get a present day storyline. I mean, Tamara Morrison's put on a few years since his his run in the prequels, so I mean, they would have to do some kind of de aging. Uh, but I would take either one if we're being honest. I'd love to see a backstory of Boba Fett and him growing up under the tutelage of. Well, but if, but if he's really young, you don't have to de-age tomorrow because you could do him as a teenager, right? Yeah, you could. I mean, but I mean, he's still he's still getting older. I mean, we all do. I sure. Mean, I mean, I don't. How do you think? How do you think he's going to come in, Brian? Do you th- do you think they're going to th- we're going to get an, an elder Cad Bane, or do you think that we're going to get uh, a younger Boba in order to keep him kind of at the same place in the timeline? I really don't know. I would love to see a younger recast Boba Fett. Personally, like all I know is Cad Bane needs to keep his hat on. I was really uncomfortable with the amount of time he spent without his hat on in this uh, ninth episode of the Bad Patch. His head is not doesn't have the best shape, but I mean, you still need to go practical or practical, like go practical effects. Yes, but I still think there needs to be some sort of CG because I think we need to spend a little more time on his face. Um, I apologize if I'm repeating anything that you guys said. Again, my my connection's just a mess, Um, but. No, I, I mean, give me a, a recast Boba Fett doing the adventures of a young Boba Fett. If you're telling the book of Boba Fett, you need to start at the beginning and you need to actually have an epilogue if, and, and give me everything in between. I would love, love just a Boba Fett just 
this is how I was when I was 14 and 22, and this is how I survived the Sarlacc. Like, give me the story of his life. I would you be know, fine if they don't go past that moment of him sitting on the throne of Jabba and him and Fennec. I'd be fine if they don't move forward. If that's the end of his story and you just well, leave the rest of it unscripted, that's fine. Well, now I'm, I'm going down a Kill Bill rabbit hole, but, uh, rabbit hole, but you know, imagine if the entire book of Boba Fett is just one giant book of vengeance. And the entire story is about him having to go back and take out everyone who ever wronged him. So it's the, it's the Kaminoans that wronged him. It's Cad Bane that wronged him. It's the Empire that wronged him. It's then Jabba and Bib Fortuna that wronged him. And the whole and it ends, you know, with where you're talking about, Mark, that at the very end, it's like, I took out the last one. Bib's gone and I'm sitting on the throne of the underworld. But it's basically the same as the bride just going and scratching out all the names. Yeah. I don't. Is killing, is killing Bib in that condition really that much of a victory? I don't. I don't. I think killing Bib in any condition wasn't much of a victory. He he's a groveling sidekick at best. I, he's very unformidable. Deoana. Yeah, he's very I unformidable. Now. Deoana. So uh, listen, guys, I'd be all in. All right, let's stay on. Let's stay on task. Let's stay stay on target. Stay on target. We're too close. Pull up. Eject. We've talked about that. You can't eject. It's just not happening. Eject. All right. So uh, Cad Bane escapes, and then we get episode nine called Bounty Lost, one of my favorite episodes of the entire series thus far. Uh, Cad Bane has captured Omega, and with the rest of the Bad Bats trying to catch up, uh, she offers to help Bane, uh, the, the droid uh, Toto uh, 360, and then as a way to escape herself. By that point, though, she's too late. And she lands on, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the planet at this point, uh, but she lands there. And then before Bespin, yeah, not Bespin, before Cad Bane has a chance to turn her over, we get the rescue attempt, the unlikely rescue attempt, which was like insane <laughs> from uh, Brian's Fennec Shand. And then we have one of the most epic duels between bounty hunters that we've yet to see very protracted one too gentlemen and then they reactivate the beacon and just in time the bad batch pulls up oddly enough this was the most compelling episode that did not involve any of our main characters for almost the entirety of the episode we did not get any of the bad batch and it was amazing uh it was interesting let me ask you guys first uh your thoughts on the schism in camino so it looks like we have nala say versus Lamasu and Tanwi, Nalase is trying to protect Omega. We don't know why, other than maybe it's just a soft spot. This is what was so confusing, because it was Nalase who let her escape in the first place, and then Lamasu and Tanwi are the ones who have contracted Cad Bane. They are hell-bent on getting her back, and then it's revealed that her DNA, uh, she is an original copy of Django Fett, unaltered, so she is a first Jenner. And then Nalase has dispatched Fennec Shand to protect her. And as long as she's in, not in the hands of the Kaminoans, Nalase is cool. She even says, hey, the Bad Batch has her again at the end. And it's like, well, fine. As long as the Kaminoans don't have her, just stay on, stay on her tail and just make sure that the, they don't get her hands on her. What was your reaction to this rift in Kamino? I thought it was cool. I was just going to say, it really didn't make a ton of sense until we got that, though. Um, I was very confused because she acted on her own to let Omega escape. In I'm talking like you now, Omega. It's Omega. Um, but getting her chance to escape Camino 
now it's all coming full circle as to that she was kind of acting on her own. Um, but getting Lama Sue and, and everybody trying to now, it, now it's at least making more sense. And especially as to why getting the first gen Django Fett um, and just everything going on there, it's starting to make more sense with only about six or seven episodes left in the season. We maybe in the series, we don't know. Tonway just always annoyed the heck out of me. So I was, I was happy to see uh, Tonway go down. No more Tonway. <laughs> yeah, it was a really unceremonious yeah, demise. Tonway is here. Yeah, you don't really get to see Fennec take out Tonwe. He's just laying on the floor, done, and that's that's kind of it. I we know where the the Camino is going to eventually fall on the wrong side of the Empire, so they're not long for the universe. Which is going to be I, the I, most I think fascinating aspect of this show is I don't think that that storyline is going to play out at all. I think that's kind of the irrelevant storyline here get what? i don't think it matters for for the Keminoans. i i they i think it's great that they have their own, their own intrigue i think that no matter what's going to happen the empire is just going to be done with them the empire is going to use them for their purpose and then you know no witnesses well i mean <laughs> it played out in they'll, the they'll, they'll, they'll not only cut off their uh, their contract for future cloning they'll they'll cut them off from the galaxy so that no one can ever clone again it played out in now, of course, this is not canon in Battlefront, where the storyline of Battlefront was one of the missions was to go back to Camino, and it was Stormtrooper on clone violence on one of the missions where you had to eradicate the remaining remnants of the clone troopers and the cloners that the Empire basically said shut it down. Would be interesting to see if they pay homage to that storyline in some form or fashion in this series or even forward. Because eventually they're going to have to yeah. wrap it up. I think that's a full episode in this show is I think we're going to see the end of the cloning in on Camino, At least half of an episode of just them coming in and wiping them out. And I wouldn't say no to Darth Vader kind of leading that leading that charge. Ooh. It would that's be, a moment where I would have a freak out. Yeah. Like that's more, more than a Cad Bane to see. Like we don't even need to see him wreck stuff just for the doors to open and yeah. have Darth Vader stand there and the lightsaber open. Well, you know that can the, we, can it'd we? be cool. Can we? Can, yeah. we, can we? You know that Kaminoan cloning tech is going to be the only thing that does stick around because it is a plot point in The Mandalorian. It's a plot point in the sequel trilogy. Speaking of which, we did get some cloning tubes on that old decommissioned cloning facility. Uh, there was no definitive answer, but we get to see Omega press up against some pretty ominous cloning tubes. They looked very, let's just call them Snoke esque. But then once they're broken, it does not look like it is a version of Snoke, or at least visually it doesn't look like it is. But then again, gentlemen, I just want to throw this out there as a hypothetical timeline wise. We're about 40 years away from 50 years away from what we're seeing in that sequel trilogy. Is it all possible that this is the first generation attempts of that dark cloning that they're trying to bring about? Maybe it doesn't look like Snoke at first. It had a, an elong, a, elongated neck. It looked more like a Kaminoan than it did Snoke. But then if you think about it, doesn't Snoke in some way bear almost a resemblance to one of the Kaminoans in terms of his physiology. Dude's like 10 feet tall. So, you know, I think, I think I texted with you guys after the episode, it would make sense that, you know, 
Snoke is like the, you know, the, the, the giant of the star Wars world, that if someone is going to be that big, the only other race we've ever seen that's that tall are the, the Kaminoans. So, um, also, just we 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 can't gloss over the fact that we we got an incredible Ghostbusters moment there, where you know he slimed me, like that. That was just one of the grossest things in the world. Like, yes, here's this giant, not living clone creature, and I'm now covered in clone slime, like <laughs> clone juice, <laughs> clone clone juice. And sorry, like we're, we we gotta go, <laughs> we gotta go back to the authorities. Like, do we gotta call Space Peta on this one? Like they're we're 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 now like using semi live creatures and just kind of like throwing them out there, you know, haphazardly for the sake of sliming someone. Like, yeah, I don't know, Mark. We we did 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 you have the speed dial ready on Space Peter for that? I one? I have Space Peter on speed dial with every single one of these episodes now since the space horses rode out on that fuselage. I have kept Space Peter on speed dial. Space effing horses, man. Crazy. So uh, I will say that I, I don't know if I'm willing to go all the way down to Snoke as a Kaminoan. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to go all the way into that. Um, but I think the scene was very reminiscent of the Mandalorian when they come across that uh, cloning facility uh, on um, what's where do grief Karga and, and Cara Dune live. Um on Navarro. that planet Navarro. Thank you so much. Um, that, that even has musical cues of Snoke at, in that episode of the Mandalorian, that one, it, 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 I think Snoke just because it's the scenes are so similar. I think they're trying to build up that story. And I don't know if I want my favorite thing going back and picking up puzzle pieces or putting together puzzle pieces if it wasn't intentional, if the plan all along was to tell me who Snoke was through these projects, then I'm cool. But to now use these projects to tell me something that fell short through the sequel trilogy, I don't know if I'm fully there yet and I'll wait until they put all those puzzle pieces together. But at this point I've already chalked up to, I may never find out who Snoke is, but it seems like I'm going to. So I just hope that it's always been part of the grander plan. And that's me saying a lot to say nothing at all. See, now I agree with you. I am hoping it's part of a grander plan to backfill in the Palpatine reemergence and who Snoke was. It would be a really satisfying writing payoff for them to say, hey, listen, it was Emperor Palps all along, that this was always the plan. This is why he was the, the supreme power of the universe. Homeboy was always 10 steps ahead of everyone else. That while you only get to see in the rise of Skywalker, the last kind of stage of this plan, that dark cloning force sensitive cloning him, creating a vessel for himself to carry on his life force was always the part of the scheme that clones were always a part of the narrative. It would just connect episode one all the way through nine. So much better. And if we can use these narratives to backfill that stuff in, that's where I say yes. Like, please augment those movies for me in that I then can go back. And this is what I said to you earlier. I was a lot more critical of the prequel trilogy until I watched Clone Wars. And now I will go back and watch all three of them and it doesn't feel different. Not to be toxic, 
the prequel always felt so different for me from the original trilogy. That's not a bad or a good thing. I'm just, you watch the three movies from the seventies and early eighties, and then you would watch the prequels. It felt very disjointed and disconnected. The clone wars and rebels merged those two together. So now I watch them almost like there is no break in style. The continuity is there now for me because those side things are filled in. The emotional narrative is filled in. The gaps are filled in. If we can do that here for the sequel trilogy, for some people, I'm all for it. But guys, so uh, we get this epic Cad Bane, Fennec Shand fight. Uh, I, I feel like that was really awesome. So two weeks in a row, first we get the Hunter Cad Bane showdown, then we get Fennec Shand. Brian, again, I geeked out for you. I know how much you love Ming-Na Wen and Fennec Shand. It's also, this fight is so cool to see why she is so revered in The Mandalorian. And when Din Djarin says she, she has such a big reputation, you get to see she's facing off against Cad Bane, who has faced off against Force users and held his own and survived. Now you get to see her going, and she's young. Like, she's still a greenhorn, comparatively speaking. And she's giving one of the premier bounty hunters of the galaxy not just to run for his money, but she's a step ahead of him. How, how did you now what I'm wondering? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I loved it. It was, and you thought this fight was over many times and it still was never over. I'm wondering where we make the connection of, because when we meet Fennec Shand in Mandalorian, the gunslinger, the fifth episode, um, which again, far and away, my least favorite of that show, um, is she seems like she's not exactly on the right side of anything that we have going on for us. She seems like a fairly evil person. Um, everything we've gotten from her since Boba saves her life. She's indebted to Boba. She's now Boba's not exactly the most righteous of people out there. Like, don't get me wrong, but she's willing to make this step and, take her gun off of Grogu to then save Grogu for the next three episodes. Like she seems to have a heart. And especially as it comes to Omega, she's got a heart. So do we ever, are she just simply misunderstood when we first meet her or, or how does she gain this reputation of maybe she just has this reputation of doing absolutely anything that it takes, but she has this moral code. I'm really, really interested because they're building up a very, very in-depth character. And I, I love everything about it, her capabilities and showing, establishing with the audience of who knows how capable she is of establishing how capable Cad Bane is at the same time, because a lot of people may not remember that either. So um, it was a fairly evenly matched thing as it should have been. Poor Toto dropped all the credits down into the clouds. I felt really bad for him. What a waste. I'm just shocked you haven't been singing Toto yet, Mark. Listen, you don't feel the rains in Africa. You feel the credits raining down because Toto dropped them. I didn't want to be some time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there was, you know, if it was just a cloud based atmosphere and it was a ga- it was a gas giant. But let me tell you something. If there's someone that's down there on some kind of on some planet, they just got hit. Somebody someone just died. They just got it's, hit. Uh, it's with, it's Ma- Mana from the Maker. Yeah. I, I just also got to say that like Fennec Shand has probably had to have the hardest cranium in the Star Wars galaxy. Ooh, yeah. Like how many how many Glaswegian kisses were they going to give each other? Like there were some serious headbutt action going back and forth, and like it's it's kind of unfair. Like his his head is 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 massive. 
Yeah. You know, in, in, in the words of Mike Myers, you know, it's, it's, it's like an orange on a toothpick. Like it's, <laughs> it's a big head. I don't understand like how she was able. I loved the fight and I love how tough she is. I just, I, I was like, how many times can they keep getting up? Yeah. Like how many times can they keep like every time you thought it was over, I was like, Nope. Yeah. Here we go again. Well, and, this- which was really, which was really, really exciting. I just was like, in, in all honesty, like I love a good headbutt match. And by the same token, I was like, Oh, come on. <laughs> how many how many times can they keep doing that? She has a strong hit, man. That's it. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 su- Superman and Wonder Woman in, in Justice League. What I will say, guys, as we transition now, seeing Cad Bane made me really excited. Uh, I will be very disappointed if they use some kind of CGI slash practical effect. I'll be very disappointed if Corey Burton doesn't continue as the voice of Cad Bane because he he reprises his role here, but he's the signature voice of the role. And then that really got me thinking about this theme and speculating for the future of the Star Wars universe that if we're seeing Cad Bane, if we're seeing Fennec Shand, if we're seeing characters from Filoni's Rebels and Clone Wars being continued, like Brian just said, I cannot see them reintroducing these characters to then just not have them in future projects then that really got me thinking man let's fan cast the future of star wars there has been some news uh breaking in the last really two two and a half weeks uh there have been some talks of and i reached out to mike and i said hey dude uh brie larson of captain marvel fame has expressed interest in joining the Star Wars universe and is in supposed preliminary talks, according to Inside the Magic, with the Star Wars executive directors to uh, bring the iconic role of Mara Jade to canon. Mara Jade is the once uh, right hand of the Emperor who hunts down, is tasked with hunting down Luke Skywalker. The two of them fall in love. They actually uh, get married and they have children. All of this is now legends, but I started to think first off is one, guys, how do you react to the news of Brie Larson as Mara Jade? And do you support it or do you have another fan casting for, for this role if we are truly getting Mara Jade in the future of the Star Wars universe? Brian, Mara Jade, Brie Larson, I know you're a Marvel shill. Does that work uh, for you? I, I mean, I don't see... Brie Larson and Mark Hamill falling in love. I just don't, I just don't see that. Well, if it's Sebastian um, But with Stan. the story of Luke Skywalker, the story <laughs> that you have given me of Luke Skywalker, I don't see the need for Mara Jade to be the same character that she is in Legends. Let's just, let's just leave it at that. If we are going to get Mara Jade, I, Brie Larson's not my number one choice, and this is nothing against Brie Larson whatsoever. Um, I think she's a great Carol Danvers. For Mara Jade, like for me, Amy Adams, like I think could do it. Like I think that would be really, really interesting. But Mila Kunis would honestly be my number one for Mara Jade. Yes, I like that. I really like that a lot. That's a good call. This is why I've been so excited for this week. It's just I know that you guys are going to shock the heck out of me with your casting choices. Wow. Um, I like it. I still think I'm going to win. I, I think I'm going to win this category. Mike, who would you who would you cast? Obvious, if, if Brie Larson's not your it, who would you put in this role? Yeah, and let me just preface it by saying I love Brie Larson. I think she is incredibly talented. I have no doubt that if she was cast in the role, she would surprise us and make it her own. Um, but when I think back to the legends material, like 
She's supposed to be a dark and twisty character. She's an absolute assassin. Um, and she's got to fit in in the underworld. So the plot in, 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 in the Timothy Zahn novels is that she was actually sent to Tatooine and was undercover as one of Jabba's dancers to try and take Luke out when he comes in to, to, to rescue Han. I don't see Brie Larson as that person. Um, so I've got I, the, the person that I've got who is, I think, got a bit of a dark side and can have a little bit of that banter. Like there's a whole thing in Legends where the two of them lose their um, they lose their force abilities. Thanks to, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the, the Islami, the Salamari, the lizard things that, that, that cancel out the force. Um, I want to bring the third leg of the Ex Machina tripod into the Star Wars universe. So we've got I, Oscar Isaac as Poe. We've got Donald Gleason as Hux. I want to bring in Alicia Vikander to play Mara Jade. So Alicia Vikander is an Academy Award winner for um, oh the the movie's going to kill me that I can't that's the uh, that I can't remember the name and I knew it earlier. Um, she's also played um, Lara Croft in Tomb Raider. Yeah. And if we were doing this movie 15 years ago, I'd say Angelina Jolie would be a remarkable Mar Jade. Yes. Um, but She's Alicia Vikander, yep. Alicia Vikander is someone who I could see being incredibly tough, being incredibly funny and being a little bit dark and mysterious as well. So I'm, I'm going in on, uh, I'm, I'm going all in on Alicia Vikander as Mar Jade. I don't hate that either. Both of you guys, very, very nice, very nice casting. I revealed mine to you. I'm the sticking. Danish girl. Yes. What Danish girl. Thank you. Like all I could see was Eddie Redmayne's face. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like, is it Dutch? Is it? Da- thank you. Danish girl. All I could see is Eddie Redmayne. That's it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I told you guys mine in the pre-show and I'm sticking with it. Cause I love it that much. I would cast Karen Gillan, the Scottish actress. Most of you know her from Jumanji. You would never know that it's her as Nebula in the MCU, but Karen Gillum would be awesome. She has comedic chops, but gentlemen, dang, she looks really good in Jumanji. She's, she is my choice. And speaking of dancing, if you've seen her dance moves in Jumanji, you know that she could pull off that, that role in, in Jabba's palace as, as the dancer, just awkward dancing. It would be amazing. Karen Gillum is my pick for marriage aid. And I would, I would love it. Love it. Brian, the awkward silence was enough to know that we're not going to go with a young Luke Skywalker, even though we know it should be Sebastian Stan. I'm very sorry. Brian has a philosophical issue with me constantly harping on my calls for Sebastian Stan to become young Luke Skywalker. Now, supposedly Mark Hamill has signed off on this and said that he would wholeheartedly support Sebastian Stan as a younger version of himself. I don't have to tell you that the internet is a fire with all kinds of uh, digital renderings of Sebastian Stan and pictures of Sebastian Stan, how much he looks like a very young Mark Hamill. It makes a lot of sense. I love him as the Winter Soldier. I think he's a hell of an actor. If you watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the scene where he is overcoming his programming in Wakanda was epic so that the guy is not just a beautiful face to look at. 
He's not just a great action star. He's got chops. The dude can act. So he is my Luke Skywalker of choice. To that end, Brian, do you have someone that you would prefer? Or is it just a philosophical, hey, I don't need any more Luke. I'm good. It's philosophical. I don't need any more Luke. I'm good. However, to be different, I did cast... I think Tom Holland wouldn't be a horrible Luke Skywalker. I think that'd be kind of fun. Uh, but Grant Gustin, mostly known for his role as Barry Allen in the Flash television series, I think is at least another name that could be considered. I like that a lot. And have you checked with Marky Mark to know that you went into the DC universe? He'd be very proud of you. He would be very proud. I don't know if he, I don't know if he will. And I, again, I apologize if we're having any audio delays on my end. Thank you, gentlemen. There is a slight delay, but nothing that can't be solved in the editing table. It's all good, my friend. All uh, right. Mike, are you are you Team Sebastian Stan, or do you have your own idea? No, I'm Team Sebastian Stan. But if we went and had to see, like, I you know, it was interesting when when you kind of sent out the list of folks to think about, and it said young Luke. I was like, are we talking about like younger Luke in terms of like replacing Mark Hamill, or do we want to think about like boy Tatooine Luke if we might see him for a couple of minutes in the Obi-Wan series so I have a choice there and it's it's a name that that we were talking about uh Mark you and I were talking about earlier offline I'd love to see Jacob Tremblay as like a young Luke Skywalker he's awesome Womp Rats in his T-16 he's awesome Um, in Luca he's awesome He's amazing in room. So going back to the Brie Larson connection, I mean, he's the, 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 the little boy who's trapped in room. He's a phenomenal child actor. Um, take child out of it. He's a phenomenal actor. I, I could, I could see him being a really interesting Luke, but I'm totally down. I, for me, it's either Sebastian Stan or Marvel style de-aging the way that they've done with, you know, Michael Douglas and the rest of the crew. I'm or not nothing a fan. At all. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. I have to say, I'm not a fan of that. I, I would like to see it be another actor get get that role. Like, yeah. much like they did in Solo, I know a lot of people were really upset that they say that it can only be Harrison Ford, but there's so much story that I want to see told of Han Solo, a younger Han Solo, that please, I mean, you can't de-age him. You just, no. just got to recast it. There, there's it's enough about, story. For yeah. me, it's Sebastian Stan or, no, or nobody. And, you know, talking about his acting chops, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a short-lived series on NBC that he got his break on called Kings. It's like, it's like a Shakespearean. Yep. It's like a modern day Shakespearean sci-fi show with, uh, with him. And, um, Oh, I can see his face. The guy from, from, uh, from tombstone and from John wick who runs the, the hotel in John wick. Um, it's a phenomenal show and he is brilliant in it playing the like bratty heir to the throne. Big, big, love it. M- mad props for Sebastian Stan. I love it. Guys, a lot of these we know are going to be out there. I do want to say, just as an asterisk, uh, Lucasfilm may have all these casts already. There, there's a probability that they already know who these individuals are because we know that we're getting an Ahsoka series. So with Ahsoka, it can be assumed that there is an Ezra, Ezra, Ezra Bridger somewhere under contract. Same thing with, we would assume that there's a Sabine Wren. Hopefully we get to see like a Kanan Jarrus. Hopefully we get to see a Hera. Hopefully we get to see a Grand Admiral Thrawn, or Thrawn which we know we're going to get because he's been name dropped in The Mandalorian. But we are kind of coming up with our fan casting of who we would like to see. None of these have been revealed. So let's start with a Sabine Wren. 
I'm going to, can I start with this? Cause I feel like I was really cheap with this guys. I have to say, I, I really did not do my job here in that I went with uh, Tia Sarkar from The Good Place. And the reason that that's cheap is she voiced the part on Rebels. So she is the voice of Sabine Wren on the animated. We also have seen her work, and I love her in The Good Place, that she's got some really good comedic chops, but she's beautiful. Um, she really is an established live-action actor, so we know that she has the live-action chops to pull it off. I would love to see her fulfill that role on the live action aspect of it. Cause who better to do that than, than uh, Tia Sarkar. And I just think it's fair. So I really did not do my due diligence, Mike. I'm sorry. Like I just, I, I kind of, I, I kind of dropped the ball on this and I chose the most obvious person at, in this dream casting, which was, I basically just told the chose the person that's already playing her voice. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I went a little, I, I'm, this is the one I struggled with the most. I, I really was trying to like find like, where's the age appropriate and where's the person who can pull off the action scenes. Um, so, you know, there have already been strong rumors, if not kind of implicit confirmation on the casting of Ezra. Um, being uh, Aladdin's Mina Massad. So I'm I'm also going to keep it for Sabine in the Disney family. I think Naomi Scott, who played Jasmine in the Aladdin movie, would be a really, really good Sabine. Um, she's also got the action movie experience because she's played, believe it or not, the Pink Ranger in the recent uh, Power Rangers movie. So I, I, feel like, I feel like she's got the acting chops. I think she's got the toughs, but I also think she's got like, I just think it'll be cool to see her with like, blue a blue haircut yeah i think she'd be rocking it real cool i i think she's got i think she's got the chops for it i like that that's a good pick uh brian who who would you cast yeah. as you i've were got f- naomi I, i've got naomi scott written down as well i also have chloe bennett written down she played daisy johnson um quake. from agents of shield uh she was quake um but i'm with you mark t.s your car is the uh is the number one choice for me yeah, I, I really felt bad that I I dropped the ball and I was brainstorming it. No, it's and, yeah, and then I was like, you know what? Like, listen, it's not like we're talking about a voice actress that doesn't have camera work too. She's amazing in The Good Place. The Good Place is low-key one of my favorite shows that has come out in recent it's times. It was a mass it was a masterpiece. The fact that they said, hey, we're gonna give it four seasons, that's it. It wasn't one of those shows that hung on for too long. It was really funny. Um, Kristen Bell is a freaking American treasure. And, you know, Tia Sakar, who played the the tryhard uh, demon that just always was like trying to say, like, I'm I'm the one who can do this better oh, than yeah. you. Yeah, she was awesome. I mean, just so good. So I know I dropped the ball with it, but listen, she's got to be given the, the opportunity first. All right. Mike talked about this. It Let's just say it again. There's a very good chance that Ezra Bridger is already cast. It looks like uh, it's cast. Uh, Gentlemen, if that does not hold true, I would like to see Dev Patel. I know he's a little older, but I would like to see Dev Patel fulfill the role of Ezra Bridger. Love him in Slumdog Millionaire. I just, I love, give me more Dev Patel, period. I love him in everything he does. And I like the fact that you would get um, that you would get that kind of South Asian 
actor playing that role. I think that would be really awesome for the diversity of the Star Wars universe. I like that. That's cool. I, I, I was, uh, you know, when, when we were sharing, we didn't share most of for, for our listeners. We didn't share most of our picks ahead of time because we, we like to surprise each other. But um, when we shared a couple, I, I applaud you guys in, in helping to make things more inclusive. You know, the, the, the ongoing Star Wars So White challenge. Um, you know, it, get, it gets tough when that's the Empire. You know, I think, you know, the, the Empire is meant to be, in a lot of ways, the, the non-diverse, non-inclusive group. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, and so maybe this is a bit of a cop-out, but when I was thinking about Ezra, I am going with another, another Ezra. So I love Ezra Miller. I, I think he is a really interesting actor. Really? Yeah. And, wow. here's the re- well, and here's the reason why. So I'm not thinking about I'm not thinking about Ezra Bridger when we see him left off at the end of Rebels. I'm thinking about Ezra Bridger a little bit further down the road when we've seen him. Like this is a guy who grew up in war, yeah, who grew up in trauma and has literally been hiding in the outskirts of the galaxy in the unknown regions. Like dude's seen some stuff. Yep. And what I love and and but what I, so what I love about Ezra Miller as a performer is. He's a little bit off. We know he can be extraordinarily dark for we have, you know, that, that, that movie, we have to talk about Kevin, which you never need to see twice. Once is certainly enough. Um, but he's also, you know, we've seen it with the flash. He's quirky and funny. And I feel like Ezra, Ezra Bridger has got a little bit of a quirky funniness to him. So I like the idea of like, there's the innocence and there's the fun and there's the adventure that was had in rebels. But, you know, here's a guy who's seen a tremendous amount of death. He's been tempted by the dark side, um, significantly and was almost apprenticed to Darth Maul. Um, so I, I like that line of taking somebody who's maybe a little bit quirky and a little bit less expected to be the young hero. So um, I think Dev Patel's an extraordinary choice, Mark, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm down with Ezra for Ezra. Yeah, and I know Dev is a little bit older, but I approached it from that same aspect of I don't think we're going to get the Ezra Bridger that blasts off into hyperspace with Admiral Thrawn we're going to see someone that's aged a bit and, and dev would fit the role for me. Yeah. So Brian, who do you got for your dream casting? So I, I wrote down multiple people for each one. Do you guys want me to narrow it down to just one? <laughs> we got, we well, got we'll, time. We'll, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, pick your one and then we can, you know, I think we've all probably got like understudies. So, so I've got a wild card here. If, if he can tone it down, sticking with the good place, I think Jason Manzukis could be a great Ezra Bridger. I think that would be a lot of fun. He would need to tone it down. Uh, but if you don't know who Jason Manzukis is, he's Dennis Feinstein from Parks and Rec. He plays, uh, he's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. He plays the crazy detective and his name's escaping me right now. If he could tone it down a little bit, I think he'd be great. Also another wild card, I think would be sticking kind of with the Dev Patel um, thing would be Hassan Minaj. I think he could also... He wow. could also do it. Dude, they're both well, awesome. But holy cow, would he have to turn it down? I love him on the league, by the way. He'd have to turn <coughs> it down to like yeah. a, a two. I like Hassan Minaj, though, because the, the, yeah. the tough part is when I kept thinking about this one, I kept wanting, especially because I watched Sound of Metal last weekend, I kept wanting to say Riz Ahmed. But Riz Ahmed is already, he's already, yeah, he's he's already in the Star Wars galaxy. Oh, man, so and he was so go good. Riz Ahmed was so good in Rogue One. Oh, he was. Riz so Ahmed good. is good in everything. Like the the yes. the dude is the dude is a remarkably talented guy. But uh, I like your choices on those guys. That's I, those are those are great. Well, so maybe he can work because maybe Borgullet like sucked his mind grapes out and his 
and gave him a, a good old memory wipe. Maybe that's not his first run-in with Borgullet. So maybe he is Ezra Bridger, and we just don't know it. That was the, that was the truth that 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 uh, that Saul wanted. That's it. You are not who you say you are. <laughs> Borgullet will know the truth. Borgullet will know. All right, guys. So we did Ezra. And we know that Kanan Jarrus, we saw him again. I cannot see them reintroducing Kanan Jarrus as a child in the Bad Batch without using him again. Please don't let him just be an Easter egg. Uh, Kanan Jarrus, I, I hope you don't mind. I, I'm like, this shows you how excited I am. I Let me go here. <laughs> Please let me go. I would love to see Keanu Reeves holding a freaking lightsaber. Keanu Reeves as a Jedi Knight would be amazing. I know that he's kind of clunky in his fighting style. Um, so Keanu has like a rough edge to him that even he just, he does things physically that you just say, dude, there's no way that he should be able to do this kind of stuff. And yet I can clearly see. Yeah, I can. I love that choice, Mark. The the, the challenge is you're going to get the the Star Wars fandom fighting you because there's a huge movement right now pushing for him to play Darth Revan. Oh no! I listen. Yep. I would, that's I'm I'm in that. Guys, I would love either one of those. Either that's one. A, that's a great choice, though, because I kept trying to think who has a voice that would sound kind of like Freddie Prince because I like Freddie Prince a lot, but I don't think he's right for the live he's action. Not. He's not. Keanu, Keanu's a good choice, man. I, I like that a lot. I Get a lightsaber in that man's hand. I don't care if it if he's a Sith. I don't care if he's a Jedi. Please get Keanu Reeves in the Star Wars universe. Please. Can, I can, need John can, Wick. Can John, can John Wick just be like chilling in the lower levels of Coruscant? I, I would dig it. <laughs> Listen, give him a space dog. PETA, give him a space dog. Like, I don't even care. I don't even care. Give him a space dog. Have John Wick in space, and I don't even don't even care. Uh, Brian, who would you have as your dream role for Kanan Jarrus? So I had decided on Ashton Kutcher, uh, but I think, honestly, I think James Vanderbeek would be the guy. What? <laughs> I don't want to wait. I don't want exactly. your life. For I, I don't want your life. Exactly. Prince Jr. kind of like all and like I don't like I went I went crazy with these. Like I'll fully admit it, but I Dude, I think Ashton Kutcher would be great, but were, I think James we could do it. Were you binge watching Dawson's Creek when you thought of that? Like that's amazing. We're going fully. I've never binge watched Dude, where's my car? Wow. Well, and you're bringing in the whole connection there too, because you you wanted uh, you wanted Mila for Mila, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. All Even right, the Kutcher household, dude. That that's what you call a curveball. I like it, Mike. Who do you got for Kanan? So uh, I'll, I'll I'll give you my understudies later because I've got kind of a a, a a Mila and Ashton potential for Kanan and Hera. But my my first choice for Kanan is Jake Gyllenhaal. Whoa, I like that. I, I, I was like just that. thinking about who who rocks a beard real well, and again, who's someone who's going to carry trauma, right? Like, I love the fact that like Kanan is super strong, except for the moments when he gets reminded about where he, you know, he's accused of being a coward yeah. and letting his master die. And I feel like Jake is really interesting in that he can put on the air of being really mature and trying to be a teacher for Ezra. Yeah. But when you need him to kind of fall back and be a little bit weaker, like 
think about like Donnie Darko Jake versus Spider-Man Jake or something even darker. Like if you think about him in, the, in like some of his detective roles, like like in Prisoners or something. I, I I think I think uh, man it kills me because like my my wife used to have like a little crush on Jakey so it breaks my heart but like I'm I gonna have give, a little I'm gonna, crush on Jakey I'm I'm not gonna lie fair enough yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna gi- I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Mr Gyllenhaal the nod here for Kane and Jarrus dude I like all three of those picks honestly I, I'll take either one of them all right so let's let's cast the love interest let's say who could you foresee as Hera Mike why don't you just stay right on on that that kick then. Yeah, so I'm. Uh, I want to keep it in the Star Wars family, so I'm going with BDH Bryce Dallas Howard. So, uh, so Bryce is uh, a, a fantastic actress, even when she's running in heels in the Jurassic Park series. Um, she is in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. She's directed two episodes of The Mandalorian, including what I think was one of the best episodes last season. Um, and she's also the daughter of Lucasfilm royalty in that Ron Howard, her dad, is the protege of George Lucas. Like, she feels like she's part of the family. And I think she's got that mixture of being both really tough and also being really kind of motherly. Like, when I was thinking about, like, Kanan and Hera are like the mom and dad of the Rebels family. And they yeah. even have, there's, you know, they even talk sometimes. There's an episode where she says to Kanan, like, oh, well, you know, now that the kids are out. So I just felt like, and, and also even thinking about her as a rebel from, you know, it just kept pop back. You know, she's the love interest in Terminator, Sal- in Terminator Salvation. Like she's, I, I think she's got the grit, but she's also got the heart. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the BDH. I like it. Brian, who's your, who's your Hera? Uh, I think Zoe Saldana is one that would make a ton of sense. She's been Gamora. She's been, uh, I think it's Natiri from Avatar. She's got all this figured out. She's got the market cornered on everything. Uh, but I, I mean, sticking, this is not going to help my, I didn't just watch a bunch of nineties teenage soap operas, but I think Jessica Beale could actually do it as well. He did. He did. He just binged watched. I, I did. It really does seem like I did, but Man. I think Zoe Saldana is, is, Number one slam dunk for listen. Hera. Let's be honest. You've been watched Seventh Heaven, and then you you just parlayed that right into Dawson's Creek, man. Uh, you've been uncovered. That's it. That's it. You know, and you guys mocked me for calling the CW the WB a couple of weeks ago. We know where the WB <laughs> fandom is on this podcast. I will tell you. I'm uh, listen. Uh, I've been very forthcoming and on multiple episodes of shows. Emily Van Camp and I love Emily Van Camp from Everwood, but I will never forgive the WB for ripping that show out of my life suddenly they killed so they killed my boy um oh god uh john beasley they like they just killed him he had a heart attack a massive heart attack so we were grieving the loss of his character he died he dropped dead and then right after he dropped dead the very next thing said on the series finale of everwood it was like what the you just one you just killed one of our favorite characters and now you canceled the show I, I was so mad at that network. I never watched a single thing after that point. True story. Like, that's not hyperbole. When they canceled Everwood the way they did, I was like, I'm done with you. You're dead. Our listeners me. were never expecting to be hearing us, you know, fanboying out about Everwood and the three amigos today. So, well, you know what? You get diversity. For, thanks for sticking with us, y'all. Yeah, you get diversity here. You get diversity, not just Star Wars fandom. We love it all. All right, guys. So, uh, Hera, I also spilled the beans to both of you with my Hera. Um, I said, I would love Zazie beats from Deadpool two. 
She's also in Joker. Uh, she also is very prominent in Atlanta, which was, you know, she was critically acclaimed in Atlanta. And she's also been lending her voice talents to in uh, the Amazon series Invincible. So she's, I love that pick. I love so so much. That's I I had casting envy when you when you told us that one. I love that one so much. Um, but I also don't hate Brian's because I I think that uh, that would be a great. I all three of these would be really awesome. All right. So do do you, you want the marriage connection if we if we were, if we were going to pull Amila and Ashton, but let's for Kanan it. and Hera? Yeah. I, let's beat the MCU to the punch and take John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Hmm. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, no love on that. No, I, I think John, I, I think John Krasinski is amazing. I, he rocks that beard. I don't want it in the MCU. No, so. yeah, he, he's true. Yeah. And that's a truthism. He does not want, he's the one guy that does not want John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt's not going to be in the MCU, by the way, not going to be, she already said it's not going to happen. Oh, she does not man. like, she does not like Marvel movies. She does not like the genre. She's not feeling it. That doesn't mean her husband won't be in it, but I don't think it's going to be her. If she's in it, it's going to take a lot of cajoling on his part to get his wife to play that role. But I don't, I don't really like it here, man. I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't oh. feel it. Jeez, here I give you guys all the love for your casting picks. <laughs> Sorry, and I, I pull out like the two nicest, most talented actors. I agree. Like, I love. Like, I agree. And suddenly, you're 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 taking a big bantha poodoo on my picks, guys. <laughs> Sorry, but I agree. I love them both. Love them both. I just let's don't get see off them. of this because my Thrawn pick is going to make you all so incredibly happy. All right, so let me get. We know that we're we'll going to we'll get keep going through the rest of the list, but I'm just telling you, like, okay. Well, we're going to end with Thrawn. Thrawn's going to be the big, the big reveal. Uh, we know that we're going to get Inquisitors at some point because of where we're moving in the timeline. That Darth Vader. Wait, can we do first? Want to get? I just want to do Zeb because I've got one that I think everybody would. I love. have no Zeb. And by the way, go ahead. You throw that out. I didn't cast Zeb. I mean, it seems like the most sense, like Andy Serkis could do it, but I think Rain Wilson, Dwight Schrute could be Zeb. And I think that would be awesome. I would not hate that. I would not hate that, especially if we get Mike's pick. If we get under the Inquisitors now. Yeah, if we get Jim and Dwight, that would be awesome. (laughs) I would like that. Anyway, we can move on now. Gentlemen, we know know that we're going to get Inquisitors because of where the timeline is going somewhere. Uh, I do want to point out this is the second place where I really, I really cheapened my pick, and that Jason Isaacs was my logical choice here for the live action version of the Grand Inquisitor. Um, everyone knows his work in the Harry Potter films, which has made him famous. He was the voice of the Grand Inquisitor on the Rebels show. He is the perfect villain in the Patriot. He's also really great in Black Hawk Down. Jason Isaacs is my pick. I'm really sorry that I did not get more creative, but the guy is amazing. And he's also come out and said publicly in several interviews, he's in. Not only is this like, oh, we hope he would want to do it again. He has said flat out verified if it were offered to me to be the Grand Inquisitor in a live action version I'm all for it. And that's why I got to say, Jason Isaacs is my grand inquisitor. Go I don't ahead. hate it. As you would say, it's, I think it's a great pick. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that any of the ones that you guys have made that you think have been, been lazy or lazy at all. Um, so I had one he, pick that is I was Lucius Mal- 
right, Mark? He's yes. Lucius Malfoy. Yes. For those that don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I had one pick for a big chunk of time that I was really confident in. And then I started thinking, I was like, nah, he's not scary enough. Like, I feel like the Grand Inquisitor needs to be imposing and frightening. And so I changed mine around and I'm rolling with Alexander Skarsgård. So yes, Alexander Skarsgård won an Emmy for, um, Oh gosh. Why am I blanking (laughs) on a Sunday? It's the HBO show that I watched all the way through with Nicole Kidman. Pretty little lies. Thank you. Big little lies. Big little lies. Um, But he's also, thank you. Big, big little lies. He's also terrifying as a vampire in true blood. Um, We know that his brother, Bill Skarsgård is terrifying in white makeup as uh, Pennywise, the clown. Yes, he is. Um, But Alexander's even more opposing, uh, imposing dudes like six, five jacked, can speak really slowly and methodically. He was awesome I mean, in Generation Kill too, by the way, on HBO. Oh my god, he's amazing in Generation Kill. I, I, that, that's where I first you know, discovered him and thought he was cool. Like I, I think that he's somebody who could be really imposing and put up a fight against, you know, any any Jedi or Sith that's out there. So Bro, I'm, I love I'm, that pick. I'm rolling with Skarsgård. I love that pick, and he he's not uh, the kind of guy that he says I'm only going to do art house kind of stuff. He does blockbuster films so he's tarzan yeah so i think that he would probably relish the chance to be part of the star wars universe at some in some way brian who do you got as your grand inquisitor i i feel bad because i keep throwing out multiple names but i've got so many names written down that i'm excited about um i so i i look at the grand inquisitor as somebody who used to have been a Jedi and is now like somebody I could see being that imposing person like you were talking about. Um, I think Tom Hiddleston could do it. I think Sean Bean could do it. I think Rob Lowe could do it. I also wrote down Bob Saget (laughs) just for fun. Um, But this is my, this is my absolute 100% serious. I think they could do it. And you kind of look for that long face like they have. I think Nicholas Cage as the grand inquisitor would be amazing. Cage rage in the Star Wars universe is everything. Is everything. I'm in. Even if you hate it, I bro. I I'm being. I'm being. If we're being honest, I don't hate a single name that you dropped. I don't even hate Bob Saget. I don't even hate Bob Saget. As I Hiddleston was my guy until I I reconsidered for Skarsgård. So I'm I'm with you on that one. I love it. Um, I don't know. Do, do you really I, see I'm the not, Grand Inquisitor yelling, "Not the bees, the bees"? <laughs> I like it. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, to the grand finale, the Grand Admiral Thrawn. We know he's coming. There has been so much fan casting done in regards to this role. We know that we're going to get him in something, whether it's the Ahsoka live action, which is probable. We know he's coming somewhere. Who would you say is the easily the most anticipated outside of a Luke Skywalker the easily the most anticipated person coming to the Star Wars canon. Mike, I'll start with you because you were really excited about your pick. I am. So, you know, everyone wanted Benedict Cumberbatch until he said he was not interested. Um, So I, as I thought about it, I kept thinking about, well, who's British and imposing and wiry and intelligent. And I had a whole bunch of people that I went through, but then I started thinking about the fact that Thrawn is also a master martial artist. He can totally kick butt. 
So there's the level of how do you get the strength and the smarts? And so I'm rolling with the guy who no one cared until he put on the mask. I'm rolling with Tom Hardy. Whoa, I love that so much. <laughs> the Tom And Tom Hardy is a Star Wars fanboy who rolled in Last Jedi, and he's in a cutscene in Last Jedi where he recognizes Finn in the elevator from their days at the Academy. Dude, I love that so much. I, we're not worthy, man. I love that so much. Yes. I I, I promised my throne would hopefully blow your minds. I I am so, like, I had thought about other people, and then when I landed on Tom Hardy, I was like, no, it's Tom Hardy. Wow. Yes. I love Tom Hardy so much in everything he does. I just feel like putting him on the small screen as well in this would just elevate what's going on there and him fighting against Ahsoka. It just gets so scary. Like I, I would pay good money to see him and Rosario oh Dawson. Throw gosh, down. man. I love that so much. Brian, we have our work cut out for us. He, he, he came strong with his last, his last mm. casting. In my fashion, I'm not going back to late nineties, teenage soap opera. Don't worry. Um, I really do think Bill Hader could do it. Uh, but my number one and I, uh, Bill Hader's like my choice for Mr. Fantastic as well. Um, he's one of them at least, um, cheaty Anagonia from a good place. We've been talking about a lot about that, that he'd be a great Mr. Fantastic, but I think Sterling K Brown, uh, he was in black Panther. He was, he's mainly known as Randall from this is us. Um, I think he's got the right demeanor. I think he's got the right build when you talk about him being jacked. I mean, that dude. Wow. is cut. Um, I think Sterling K. Brown would be a great uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. I really like that pick. I do too. Guys, you, you like you leave now. I, I was so excited about mine, and now I'm kind of re- like re-examining this, saying like, man, did I did I fall flat here on my casting choice? So my call for Grand Admiral Thrawn. You say John. Who, who am I going to say? Said, did you say John Stamos? No, I did not say John Stamos. My call for Grand Admiral Thrawn would be Zachary Quinto of the Star Trek universe. Same thing. Mike said he's got to be logical. As Spock, he showed us that he can carry a line, remain calm. I think of Thrawn's demeanor that Thrawn isn't, you know, he's not a loose cannon. He's calculated. He's very logical. And so I thought the work he's done as Spock in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek trilogy, maybe a fourth, who knows, at some point, has really shown that he has the presence on camera to carry a character, an iconic character like that. And we also know, like, he can pull off as Spock. He's He's been pretty impressive in some of those action shots and action sequences in that franchise. And since Star Trek is uh, taking a bit of a hiatus on the the big screen, it seems right. Zachary, come on over to the Star Wars universe. We will welcome you with open arms. There's no, uh, you know, there's no rivalry here. If you want to come over from the Roddenberry universe, we'll take you, and we'll do so. We would love to have you as as a blue guy. Pull off the ears, put on a little blue makeup, and we're all good, man. We're all good. I don't know if that meets your approval, gentlemen, but that's who I'm going with. I like those picks. Yeah, I like it too. So this was so 
so much fun. I have to say, we had a lot of fun in the build up to this. Yeah. Uh, can I can I can I ask if if we if we can get a bonus? Sure. Would you guys ever consider? Ca- I, I you know we talked about him so early on, so I think we got to like wrap it up with this. Who would you guys cast as the live action uh, Cad Bane? I dude, I just said I said earlier. Uh, I would feel somewhat upset if they don't give it to Corey Burton as the voice. If if it's if it's a capture, that's boring. It is boring, but listen, he's the voice of Cad Bane. <laughs> But I mean, at that point, if you're going to use capture, CGI capture, why would you care? It's got to be his voice. You could do you could do what they did with Maul and Solo, where you have Ray Park do the um, live action acting and then you have Sam Witwer's voice over the top. You could do that still Um, for me. Like, honestly, I thought about this briefly. I think Daniel Craig would be a great Cad Bane. I thought the same thing. I like that I a lot. I thought the exact same yes. thing. And he's another no. Star Wars, he's another Star Wars junkie. I, he's he's the stormtrooper who gets who gets Jedi mind tricked by Ray. He'll do it. I, He'll do I it. Think, I think Daniel Craig would be phenomenal. I, I think he's got the graspy voice. I think he's got the dry demeanor. He's wow. physically imposing. Guys, we get on it. Can, get on it. Hashtag fight. Get on it. Hashtag. Let's do it. Daniel Craig. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> if you're listening and you like Daniel Craig, if you like your James Bond and your Bounty Hunters to mix, get it done. Get it done, universe. Guys, this was a lot of fun. I love sitting down with you every two weeks. I'm really excited for the next two episodes of The Bad Batch. I'm really excited for the future of Star Wars. We say that constantly, but I'm just really excited to sit down and geek out with you guys every two weeks. Thank you to everyone who tuned in this week. Check us out in two weeks. The summer schedule might get a little funky, Some of the Jedi might be missing from the panel from time to time as the summer schedule rolls out and people go on vacations and whatnot. But needless to say, we will be here every two weeks with with someone. We've got some good friends again who we who also love Star Wars as much as us and we can tap in and out. Brian knows how to drive StreamYard as well, so he knows how to throw on throw on this record button and and drive a pretty good show. But we will be here. And uh, we would love to, to geek out over Star Wars with you. Thank you so much. Gentlemen, may the force be with you. 